Here's the thing, okay? If we're gonna keep doing this, you guys gotta meet me halfway out there. I mean, let's face it, it's not a good week if every week I, the son of God, have to come in, drop everything, and bail out the Denver Broncos in the fourth quarter, okay? I'm a busy guy. So, wait, wait, you're only helping in the fourth quarter? Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Have you watched the game film, Tim, of the first half? I mean, come on, three for 16? You know, I could throw better, and I'm 2,010 years old, huh? <laughs> Everybody, welcome to Put Me In Coach. It's a podcast about baseball. My name is Matt Coggins. And my name is Carl Mizell. And let's try this again. This is a third <laughs> try at recording this episode. They always say third time's a charm. <laughs> I just need people to know how frustrated I am. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, you know what? Uh, we've already exchanged pleasantries, but let's exchange it for the, the fans. How are you? I'm doing great. I got into hockey jerseys now, so I'm wearing a Flint Generals jersey. I don't know if you remember them. Mm, that's a cl- oh, the classic. Oh, yeah, I, I'm, 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 I was in the booster club when I was a teen. I started going. I was in the booster club. My mom was uh, uh, not a teen when she was an adult, and I was a kid. We I, we went to we had season tickets. Hell yeah, yeah. No, I'm, I'm yeah. Bad. I found this on a some kind of uh, counterfeit uh, Etsy shop, and I was like. That is mine. So I even got it customized with my own number, and uh, people said it was too cringe if I got my name on it too. But I got I got one halfway there. So <laughs> yeah, no, that that's I mean, I wouldn't. That's yeah. just me. But I don't I don't give a shit what you do. You whatever makes you happy. I'm I'm too old to care about what other people do and how they spend their money, man. I, I just shut up and let people yeah. like what they like. How are you, Ben, buddy? Uh, I've been great. Uh, I mean, uh, I've got a little minor illness aside, and it's the witching hour, so my my wife is diligently trying to uh, get the kids upstairs and keep them away from uh, this area in my office here, uh, and it's going pretty well so far. Um, but yeah, I am I am so pumped. I am so stoked. I was bouncing around the room today, just giddily going, pitchers and catchers report next week, pitchers and catchers report next week. Oh my God, oh my God, pitchers and catchers report it's next really week. It's the, really, the football aspect of the year is dead for me, and I'm only watching baseball clips and baseball YouTube videos, and I'm like, oh man, soon I'll be in that hot summer sun, drinking a beer, watching baseball, and I can't wait. Yeah, I've got a plan. I, I don't know if it's going to work, but my plan this year is to do something with my son that I've always wanted to do. I wanted to do when I was a kid, uh, and that is I want to take him to opening yeah. day. I want to take him out of school, take him to opening day, and uh, have some fun with that. So I, I'm hoping that that will work out for us. It will also serve uh, potentially as a nice sort of early birthday present for him. His his birthday is later in, in, in that month, but I'm, I'm hoping I can get him out of school, take him down to Detroit, get him some we, I took him to spring training uh, last year down in Florida, and he loves smashing peanuts, like to eat the peanuts and just stomp on the shells. <laughs> get him a shirt, get him a hot dog. I, I, I'm, I'm hoping truly it works the out. Best. So that's, oh, it's, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I hope it doesn't, uh, it's not like last year yeah. where it, it snows on opening day. The flip side, too, is like I told my wife, I was like, hey, the, the Tigers are coming to town. They're playing the Mets, like the, the very second uh, series of the year. And I'm thinking about, you know, jumping on the tickets when they're available. She goes, wait, 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 wait. When is this? I go, first week of April? And she goes, 
<laughs> not interested in cold yeah. baseball. You're, you're, <laughs> you're, f- yeah, no kidding. You're flying solo on that one, Super yeah. Chief. So, but hey, this is, believe it or not, folks, our Super Bowl special. Okay, imagine the Fox Sports football theme there instead of the baseball theme. Um, we have an yeah. exciting story of football meets baseball. And I haven't told Carl who exactly we're talking about today, but I think it's going to blow everybody's socks off. One of the most legendary crossover players in history. But before we get to that, it's time for the baseball news. Hey, huge news, I think. Maybe some of the biggest news of the offseason dropped this week. The famously stingy owner of the Baltimore Orioles, John Angelos, has agreed to sell the team after 30 years of his family's ownership. David Rubenstein of the Carlisle Group and Mike Arhogetti of Aries Management Corporation, they're both private equity billionaires, of course, are jointly purchasing the team for $1.725 billion an ownership group that includes local leaders and sports legends, including the one and only Cal Ripken Jr., are included in Arrogetti's stake. What a monumental thing to happen here at the end of the offseason. Yeah, and it's it's not fully, obviously, complete. Um, it has to pass the, uh, you know vote of the owners yada 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 and then there's an additional wrinkle peter angelos always said that he did not want the team sold while he is alive and by the technical definition of the word he is actually alive but he's 94 and in he's poor still health alive? so what he's almost like a lich <laughs> he's still alive i think i think he is like like i said he's a bit of a lich for your D players <laughs> out there like he's not really alive you know but he's like stealing the life force of some some person I don't know some Dorian Gray stuff painting in the attic or whatever. So this initial sale is only for forty per a forty percent stake in the team. And once Peter Angelos finally shuffles loose the mortal coil, uh, the team they will then buy the last sixty percent. Um, but yeah, Baltimore, <laughs> Baltimore has so many reasons to celebrate right now. They had that great year last year. They've got the best pipe, you know the. Farm pros, you know, farm team and the farm organization in the in the in the, the league. What the hell's wrong with me? I can't talk right now. Um, I'm so excited for Baltimore. Good, good farm. Um, and then I, I farm <laughs> farm good player Adley Rutschman. Good man, hit ball hard, throw ball. Um, but then on top of that, they made a hell of a trade. Corbin Burns has been traded from the Milwaukee Brewers for. A couple of okay prospects. Uh, Baltimore certainly has plenty of them to go around, but for uh, a couple of years of Corbin Burns, holy shit! Or is it just one year? Well, no, they only get him for one. He's a free agent. Yeah, he's he. But still, for a full year of control of Corbin Burns, and I think there's a lot to be said there. In in that, like the same thing. What what Baltimore is going to be doing with Corbin Burns is what New York is going to be doing with Juan Soto. They're going to be courting him throughout the season. Just you know, every time to be huh, wanna huh? What do you think? Yeah, imagine this for seven years with a with with a club option for three more after that. But you you made a funny you made a point. It, it, it's so crazy that you say this. 
because the two uh, prospects that went over to Milwaukee and also a, a competitive balance round pick, uh, Joey Hall and or DL Hall, excuse me, and Joey Ortiz. DL Hall's a pitcher. Joey Ortiz is an infielder. They're the number four and number six uh, prospects in the Baltimore pipeline, and most people were like, "Who? <laughs> that's how <laughs> that's, that's how funny. deep they they are." Uh, in that pipeline, but a lot of people are like, oh, who the hell are these guys? Oh, it says here they're the number four and six prospects in their pipeline. Um, so I I think Milwaukee made the right move. I mean, chances are Corbin Burns is not sticking around after this year. You you might as well get something, you know, strike while the iron is hot. Um, Artie Moreno uh, in Los Angeles or Anaheim yeah. or whatever could have taken a bunch of notes on this and gotten literally anything for show still get something for mike literally trout anything um could still get something for mike trout but uh yeah so i think this is great all around uh, i think it's great for baseball i think it's great for baltimore um and i was going to jump ahead to uh, that that's further down well, could you notes. talk a little bit about the, <laughs> well, the the draft pick because oh i think a lot of people were confused this week yeah. Not knowing that you could theoretically trade draft picks, and it's not necessarily just doing that. It's not like football, but can you explain that wrinkle mm. a little bit to people? I mean, I totally know what it oh. is, but uh, you know, for our listeners, of course. Yeah, of course, of course, only for the listeners. So, yes, uh, as Matt has pointed out, and I, I did not do additional research on this because I, I, I forgot, um, but Major League Baseball, to the best of my knowledge, is the only s- of sport of the four major North American sports that does not allow the trading of draft picks. That said... Major League Baseball also has a unique wrinkle in that they have two competitive balance rounds. Um, Competitive balance round A, which takes place between rounds one and two, and competitive balance round B, which takes place between rounds two and three. And these picks are issued to the teams that have the 10 lowest revenues in the sport and the 10 smallest markets in the sport. But because some of those overlap into sort of a Venn diagram, there's not always 20 picks Mm -hmm. that get handed out because you know so a team could be a small market team and a low revenue team right um so and then in addition to that those teams also get additional international pool money um as well on top of i think it's like 4.75 million that every team gets and then these teams get an additional 4.75 and 5.25 i think it's on mlb's website which is actually really robust if you ever want to learn something about this now the wrinkle is that these are the only picks that can be traded. You cannot, like, if you f- if you win the World Series and you have the thirtieth pick in the fir- you know in each round, you cannot trade those picks. But if you have a competitive balance pick, you can trade those. But only the team that was originally granted the pick can trade it. So Milwaukee cannot turn around and use this trade or this draft pick uh, as the trade chip. Nor can the picks be traded just for cash so you cannot just buy an additional draft right. pick so that is a, a, a another fun wrinkle in the rule four draft which is the actual name of the uh, mlb entry level prospect draft the rule four draft i did read something the other day it's like a lot of these american sports seem to have been vetted by lawyers because there's so many rules and loopholes <laughs> it's I mean, I am a sucker for these like weird, you know, little quirks and Major League Baseball has 
a ton. I just learned one about the NBA um, because the NBA, like all the other sports, loves to shoot itself in the foot. They have a rule that says you have to play at least 65 of the 82 games in order to qualify for like MVP awards and and, and that sort of thing Um, because the NBA has a big uh, load management problem because nobody likes it when you go to you know, if you live in Denver and the Philadelphia 76ers are in town and Joel Embiid's not playing, well, I want to see Joel Embiid. Um, so that's how they're trying to make guys play more games. And it's a rule that felt like it was kind of like pointed at Joel Embiid because now he's uh, injured again <laughs> and he's also having a historic season. Uh, um, so, yeah, uh, so not, not every rule is no. great. Um, pitch clock, great. You know, uh, Manfred Runner, bad. bad. And not going anywhere. Uh, speaking of not going anywhere, Bobby Witt no. Jr. signed a massive extension for the Royals uh, today. This is breaking news. Uh, this is the biggest contract in Royals franchise history, which I thought was fucking crazy. Uh, 11 years, $288.7 million. There's a three-year club option that could bring that total value up to $377.7 million. It's also a quasi-deferred contract, so he's only making $2 million for the first three years. And it goes up after that. The Royals now have the highest luxury tax payroll in the AL Central. That is nuts. They won 55 games last year. And they, I think, are aggressively saying, we ain't doing that again. (laughs) No. And it's encouraging. But it also goes to show you uh, the the talking point that, like, look at what the Dodgers are doing. Baseball is broken. No. Baseball is not broken. Baseball is fine. We don't need a salary cap. We don't need a salary floor. We Everything is fine. Teams could do this if teams wanted to. And what's probably going on internally is that they're running a bunch of cost-benefit analysis and all this sort of stuff, and they're figuring out, hey, a window could be opening for us. Let's show everybody, look, what we just did with our you know, rising star here in Bobby Witt. Don't you want to be a part of this? That's what they're, 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 they're gearing up for a yeah, run. I mean, that's what, the that's same what thing you we, do. Same thing we talked about last week with Colt Keith. It's like these teams, I think, are starting to realize the value of the people that they develop. And Bobby Witt, has, even on a shitty Royals team last year, Bobby Witt was one of the best infielders in the league. And that is the kind of thing you invest in long term. And so they made a great move. I mean, I, I don't love that it's another AL Central team that we're going to have to compete against, but you can't deny that Bobby Witt's a very talented player and the Royals have done good work this offseason. No. And, and, and when you feel comfortable, when you feel secure, when you know that you've got that bag, I mean, some guys could, you know, pull an Anthony Rendon and <laughs> just be Anthony Rendon. But I think, I mean, these guys are the, some of the most competitive people on the planet. I mean, professional athletes are some of the most pro- competitive people on the planet. I mean, we, we all know that. Bobby Witt Jr. is not going to just rest on his laurels. He's going to go out there, and he, but now he knows he's got the security. He doesn't have to worry about what, what's going to happen. Am I going to get traded? You know, are they going to extend me? Nope. All I can do is focus on baseball, and I guarantee you this is gonna this is gonna be reflected in his performance. Injuries, yeah. notwithstanding. Um. Finally, we got our uh our cover subject for the next version yeah. of MLB the Show, the video game. Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Uh, the first. I mean, uh, he sets a lot of these quote-unquote records he's the first person whose dad was also on the cover of a video game and now he is too um how do we feel about vlad as the pick it makes a lot more sense than jazz chisholm's last year yeah i felt bad for jazz i really did because it was you know you know javi baez and then shohei um and then uh jazz chisholm uh tatis it was javi tatis 
Oh, Tatis. Yes, thank you. I for, I forgot how. Yes, thank you for correcting me there. Um, I should remember Tatis because that was 21, and that was the darkest year of my MLB <laughs> The Show playing life. I, I thought it was the year that was going to make me stop playing MLB The Show. Um, and here I am now uh, climbing back through the ranked leaderboards. Um, I'm going to be there. I'm going to. They're going to announce the um, the collector's edition or whatever this week. I'm going to buy it. Uh, I'm going to. I'm actually. If you're listening to this. Uh, and you see me on PlayStation. I'm a PS player. Uh, I go by Muscle Pupper. Uh, so if you see me, uh, say something. If you play me online, uh, I'm I'm okay. I might I could either throttle you um, or you could throttle me. There's no in between. But I am going to get I'm going to get 24. I'm going to play the hell out of it. I've got plans to stream um, and try and add a little bit of uh, just fun to my life, but a little bit of content to the to the Put Me in Coach proceedings. Um, I think it could be a fun way to work that in. I'm going to do some dumb theme teams. Uh, I'm going to do like an all Pisces team, <laughs> <laughs> you know, like just dumb stuff. Guys named Jim. Um, I've got one rolling out for I'm, I'm planning to do a naked nine. Um, only modern players that wear oh, no batting that. gloves. Yeah, I because I, I posted that once in the the show subreddit, and everybody was like, "Well, what about Babe Ruth?" Well, they didn't have <laughs> gloves exist. in 1927. They they hadn't even heard of it. They hadn't even thought to wrap their hands up in anything. Um, so yeah, I'm excited. I love it. I, I it's it's a it's a great game. It's a great series. I have all the same gripes that everybody else does. But as far as the, in terms of the cover, I it's great. Vlad, he's a he's a he had a bit of a down year. I don't think the curse, you know, I I really don't know if the Madden curse uh, or like you know the cover curse really extends too far to the show. I think most guys have seemed to dodge it, um, unless you have any information. We kind of talked about it the other me. day on Discord, where I was like, okay, Javi Baez makes sense. He's been pretty terrible, but then it goes Tatis, who's been pretty good, Shohei, who obviously has been great, and then Jazz Chisholm, who I don't think got better or worse after being on the cover um but i do think i mean tatis got injured and he had that weird steroid uh suspension shohei got injured even in the midst of an mvp season jazz chisholm again unchanged so i don't know maybe uh maybe it's not so much to do with your quality as a player i mean guys get injured all the time you look at harper you look at judge guys that have also been on the cover i don't know i guess we'll see what happens to guerrero this year (laughs) Well, I can tell you for sure that it's not going to help uh, the Blue Jays uh, <laughs> because the the AL East looks uh, gnarly um, this year. I think Baltimore is going to be a beast. I, I think Toronto could sneak in, sneak up there and maybe muck around and get a wild card. But I, I, at this point, I feel like the AL East is ba- Baltimore's yeah. to lose. But um, and, and then who knows what the hell Boston's no, doing? No, the Rays aren't going Nobody anywhere. Knows. The Yankees are trying, but no. I, I don't even mention whenever I talk about this. I don't even think about the Rays because I just assume they're going to be. I assume they're going to be terrible, and then I'm going to be proven wrong every time. Just pencil them in for 85 to 100 wins. It could Why be not? anywhere in there. Why not? Well, yeah. it's time now to move on to our main topic: our big Super Bowl spectacular. <laughs> Now, obviously, the Super Bowl is uh, football, American football. It is not baseball, but we would be remiss if we didn't at least talk about it in some capacity. And Matt has apparently got something on deck that is pretty cool. And I literally, I he he, we share our scripts in the Drive and uh, Google Drive. And he said, you know, if you don't want to know anything about it, don't go below the news. So I haven't. <laughs> I have no idea what's going to happen next. All right. So gridiron football. It is a sport that it is definitely not 
baseball. While America's pastime is known for hitting a ball with a bat, America's actual favorite sport is known for throwing a ball to your buddies and trying to get it from one place to another. Am I explaining these sports well? No. But to be honest, you all know what football is just as, you, just as much as you know what baseball is. One has bases, one has foots. So let's move on. The United States' biggest unofficial holiday, Super Bowl Sunday, comes around this week. And to celebrate, I've cooked up an amazing episode covering the marriage of football and baseball and one of the great what-if stories of the last few years. You see, unlike the other two major American sports, hockey and basketball, football and baseball have an interestingly complementary relationship. Their seasons fall almost perfectly on opposite sides of the calendar, their stadiums sometimes host those two sports together, and their fans and their cities are always feeding off of the momentum of one thing or another. The Red Sox and the Patriots both, ho both hoisted a trophy in 2003, same year. How exciting that must have been for all those sad, cold, Dunkin' Donuts-loving New England racists. The most exciting combo between those two sports, however, is hands down the dual sport athlete, the guy that can play baseball and football. It should come as no surprise that some baseball players once dipped their toes into football and vice versa. We had Kurt Gibson. He was a legendary wide receiver for Michigan State before being drafted by the Tigers. To a point where he was like, he's still to this day one of the greatest wide receivers Michigan State's ever known. Joe Maurer was a star quarterback for his high school in St. Paul, was named National Player of the Year, committed to play for Florida State before ultimately deciding to declare for the MLB draft instead. Patrick Mahomes briefly considered following in his father Pat's footsteps, and played as a relief pitcher for Texas Tech prior to earning the starting quarterback job. He was also drafted out of high school by the Detroit Tigers in the 37th round. A sort of, we know this guy's gonna go into football, but just in case. And then of course there's Tom Brady. He was apparently a legendary catcher and power hitter in high school, catching the attention of the Montreal Expos who drafted him in the 18th round with a monetary bonus equivalent of a second round pick. The Expos GM Kevin Malone claimed Brady would be one of the greatest catchers ever, but Brady instead chose to pursue football, declared for the University of Michigan. I think it worked out for him. <laughs> yeah, uh, I would say so. And, and, and a lot of people, it's been, so, it's been so long, a lot of people don't remember, Tom Brady was backing up Drew Bledsoe at at the University of Michigan and was only a sixth round draft pick. So it wasn't, uh, or excuse me, he backed up Drew Bledsoe in New England. And that's, I, well, I, I even that up. at U of uh, so M, it wasn't, he uh, wasn't the starter for most of his time. No, who was who he behind? It wasn't, wasn't Gerback, was it? I don't remember. I don't remember who he played behind. I don't behind. remember. I mean, he shined once he got yeah. to his senior year, but Harbaugh the other day was like, J.J. McCarthy's the best quarterback Michigan's ever had. He's not quite Tom Brady yet. Tom Brady became Tom Brady when he got to the NFL. That's football for you. <laughs> All right, we'll see. Now, of course, these uh, baseball, football, what-ifs, they pale in comparison to the, the athletes that actually managed professional careers in both sports. Since the inaugural NFL season in 1920, around 20 athletes have played professionally for both leagues, the MLB and the NFL, with just seven coming in the Super Bowl era post-1970. And you know these names. If you don't know these names, I'm going to, you know, I like to pretend for this podcast these are people listening that might not know baseball history. These are some legends of the sport, including one of my all-time favorite players, Bo Jackson. He was a Heisman Trophy winning running back from Auburn who went on to have a short but legendary career with both the LA Raiders and as an outfielder for the Royals, White Sox, and Angels. He was the first player to be named an all-star in both sports. A hip injury sustained in football would ultimately derail what would have been one of the most 
impressive professional sports careers in history. There's Deion Sanders, the Jim Thorpe award-winning cornerback and outfielder from Florida State, played professionally for the Falcons, the 49ers, the Cowboys, the Redskins, the Ravens, and the Yankees, the Braves, the Reds, and the Giants in an impressive career that lasted 16 years. He's the only athlete in history to play in a Super Bowl and a World Series. In his very first season in either league, he hit a home run and scored a touchdown in the same week. And he's the only player to ever do that. Uh, Sanders holds the longevity record, having appeared in 641 MLB games and 189 NFL games. He once played an NFL game and an MLB game on the same day, if I'm not mistaken. Um, he legendary. He's also a coach now for uh, Colorado. And then there was Jim yes. Thorpe who they named that award after. <laughs> he was a legendary American athlete in many <laughs> facets, and also the first Native American to win a gold medal at the Olympics. He had a 13-year football career playing for many teams, including the New York Giants, and a seven-year baseball career with a few teams, mainly the New York Giants. <laughs> he was, uh, he was yep. in the inaugural class of the Pro Football Hall of Fame and has a town named after him in Pennsylvania. Those are just a few names. Obviously, there haven't been that many, but those guys are legends for being able to handle both of those sports. Yeah, there was one that you I, I you might have missed because it was in a weird time frame for for you in terms of your age. But Brian Jordan uh, had a very long career. He had like a 15 year uh, Major League Baseball career, but he played for the Atlanta Falcons for I think from like 88 to 91, um, and then he made his Major League debut 92. And then played until the mid aughts. That's sick. Had a pretty okay career. So I'm and I'm wondering yeah. if maybe that part of my research was guys that that overlapped in their careers and you know played them at the same time. But I wondered about that too. Yeah. Guys that started yeah, in football and ended up in baseball. Yeah. And it, and as a side note, Jim Thorpe, Pennsylvania, is a beautiful <laughs> town. If you're ever out that That's way. That's sick. He was also like he. All those Olympic golds were in stuff like um track and track and field events. Uh. We weren't playing football mm. in the Olympics back then, uh, so that's he he could do so much. One of the greatest athletes this country's ever seen. Yeah, uh, it's monumentally hard to become a professional athlete in either of these sports, and these guys proved you have to be kind of a freak of nature to do both at the same time. And that's precisely why you have so many of these what ifs when it comes to the guys that went pro in one or the other. In that short window of an athlete's career, it's not common for two careers to line up like that. It's also rare for somebody to do what we just mentioned, a guy that starts in one league, ends up in another. Michael Jordan, for instance, started in basketball, did baseball for a second, came back to basketball. And that's precisely what we're talking about today. Someone that succeeded in many respects in football who very well may have been the next great baseball sensation. We're talking, of course about New York Mets legend Tim Tebow. Wow. <laughs> now, here I was. I was doing a little bit of research on the fly. I wanted to see Jim Abbott also played football, but he did not play uh, beyond high school. I thought he might have played into college, but no, he, he did not play um, beyond college. But then you drop, while I'm doing some Jim Abbott research, you drop a Tim Tebow there on you me. Go. So let's go back here. Go back in time a little bit. Near the end of the 2016 season, an aspiring ball player caught the attention of the baseball press when he invited scouts from all 30 teams to an open workout. This might not be remarkable under most circumstances. He was 29 years old and hadn't played a lick of baseball since high school, but some teams walked away quite impressed with his potential. Back in 2005, he was deemed a six-tool player and drew interest from the Angels before ultimately pursuing a football career, but now approaching 30 and in desperate need of a career change, Tim Tebow, 
is hoping at least one of these MLB organizations are going to give him a shot at the outfield. The odds are against him. Despite his talents, his accolades, his resume, Barry Pacheski from Deadspin put it quite simply, I do not think this is going to go well. Baseball's hard. Playing any pro sport at high level is hard. Tim Tebow didn't exactly succeed in the one he was supposed to be good at, but hitting a ball is a specialization without analog. Tim Tebow is the kind of guy that defied a lot of odds. Had he overcome just one more barrier, he might have been a baseball legend. <laughs> Maybe a stretch. I doubt it. I doubt it. But I'm willing to hear your argument. I'm already here. I've got all the equipment set up. <laughs> we might as well do it. Um. Well, let's talk about where Tim comes from, how how he got into sports in general, and those odds that he defied. We're going to go now to the Philippines. 1986, Tim Tebow was born to American Baptist missionaries. His mother, Pamela, fell into a coma after contracting dysentery, and while recovering, she discovered she was pregnant. The treatment for her ailments caused a bad placental abruption, where the placenta separates early from the uterus, and doctors assumed this would result in a stillbirth, so abortion was recommended, Although it was illegal in the Philippines at the time, given the Tebow family's deep Christian faith, they declined an abortion anyway. To everyone's surprise and delight, Tim was born happy, healthy, easy. Then the Tebows moved to Florida where, when Tim was three, along with their four other children, all of whom were homeschooled in the traditional, wacky, Christian Floridian way. Uh, Florida is among the laxer states when it comes to homeschooling regulations, and one of the more interesting laws they have on the books allows homeschooled kids to play sports for a school in their local district. So even though he wasn't enrolled, he could just say, I'm going to play for this team. That that seems a wee bit shady. I don't like it. <laughs> it's something like half of all states actually allow this. Uh, ESPN did a, a special about it where they kind of interviewed some kids who didn't weren't afforded that. They were homeschooled and, and weren't allowed to play for sports and kids that were. Uh, yeah. And Tim was actually interviewed well, for that. Well, I, I guess, I mean, ultimately, I guess if your parents are paying the taxes in the school district, they might as well get some benefit. I mean, if you're not taking advantage of the schools, but you are still paying the taxes. I That's mean, true. You might as well take advantage of some of it. But I don't know. It just seems like a way to scoop up the homeschool jocks. But yeah. There aren't many. <laughs> <laughs> so Tim played quarterback for the struggling Allen D. Nice Panthers, garnering attention as he began to lead the team to a turnaround in his junior year, despite playing with a broken leg for most of the season. That year, he was named the Florida Player of the Year. The same year, he was All-State as a baseball player, hitting 494 with four home runs, 30 RBIs, and 10 doubles on a team that reached the state Final Four. His senior year saw him lead Nice to a state football title, earning All-State and National Honors another Florida Player of the Year and a spot at the All-American Bowl, featuring 78 of the best high school players in America. And Tim was profiled by ESPN and Sport Illustrated prior to his college career, with much of the focus being on his homeschooling. Like I mentioned earlier, he got interviewed for that ESPN piece. And years later, he would reflect on his homeschooling experience. He said, A lot of times people have the stereotype of homeschoolers as not very athletic. It's like, go win a spelling bee or something like that. Now, I didn't know that there were a lot of stereotypes about homeschooling kids, but that's not one of them I was aware of. <laughs> What what that they they aren't they aren't traditionally athletic or they're they're traditionally bookish I guess like either either end of that spectrum oh, you yeah. know it's like I always just assumed they were weird Christian kids if they're homeschooled no I yeah no you would think that I I have I've I've had occasion to meet several who were agnostic it was not a religious based decision um, they were still super weird. Yeah. 
Um, but but not in like the like you said that sort of religious way where they they didn't learn about science yeah. at all, um, that sort of thing. Um, but yeah, so I, I mean, it does really depend on a, a deeper context of that. Um, but yeah, they're generally not more often than not not super athletic unless your parents are the ones like taking you to like other activities because again, that's a parent driven thing at that point. Yeah. So Tim was heavily recruited by some of the top colleges, but ultimately elected to play for the school where his parents first met, the University of Florida. He was a key backup on Florida's 2006 national championship team, won the starting quarterback job in 07, led the Gators to another championship in 08, and quarterback them to a 13 and 1 season in 2009. The highlight of his college career, however, was winning the Heisman Trophy in his sophomore year, the first sophomore to ever win the most coveted college football award. In 2010, Tim was drafted with the 25th pick of the first round by the Denver Broncos, who primarily used him for his backup or as a backup in his first season and a half. He was bizarrely one of the best-selling jerseys of 2010. <laughs> Apparently his Broncos jersey was flying off the shelf. His first few years had sparks of brilliance. For one, he could run like crazy. He was he was a, uh, a dual-threat quarterback, as they call them, at a time where that was sort of rare. Michael Vick was sort of bringing that to the mainstay and making that a a, a prominent way to play but that at that time Tom Brady was still sort of the premier quarterback the the passing like crazy quarterback was the style of play nowadays you got guys like Josh Allen Lamar Jackson who can run like crazy Tebow was one of them at a time where that was a little more rare he set the record for longest touchdown rush for a quarterback in both Broncos history and NFL history for a quarterback in his first start, and became the first quarterback to rush for a touchdown in his first three starts. So that's pretty cool. He was also prone to interceptions, yeah. uh, only completed about half of his passes, and was getting sacked like crazy 41 times in his short career, coming out to being sacked about 10% per passing attempt on average. So one out of every 10 times he goes back to pass, he gets sacked. <laughs> yeah, and and he was not like if you go back and watch game footage of him throwing the ball, like think of your Tom Brady's, your Peyton Manning's, guys who are known for being uh really good pocket passers and then watch Tim Tebow, he would bring that ball like his his throwing motion was one of the most inefficient throwing motions of all time like I he should have been as soon as they drafted him like Tim here are all the other positions that you can play in a football field pick one nope not that quarterback is off the table pick literally anything, anything else. else anything else but he did lead the Broncos to the playoffs uh one of his best his career best game was that sort of uh that wild card game that they they played in but they did get bounced in the divisional round that same year. And despite promises from the Broncos that he would be their starting quarterback in 2012, Tebow was traded to the New York Jets after Denver signed free agent Peyton Manning, which, if you had a choice between an old Peyton Manning and a young Tim Tebow, I'm still going to go old Peyton Manning. <laughs> yeah, same. I would go with Peyton Manning now. Yeah. <laughs> uh, honestly, him and that Bud Light commercial, just fucking throwing those, those beers at people, um, he looks like he's still got good form. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Um, but uh, Tim, uh, he was controversially used very sparingly in New York and went down with a rib injury about halfway through the season. The Jets released him in 2013 after throwing just eight passes, rushing 32 times in his one season with New York. Uh, despite attempts with the Patriots and Eagles the next few years, Tebow never made it out of training camp and his NFL career came 
doing it. I completely forgot about the stints with the Patriots and the Eagles. I just That's didn't hilarious. realize that his career was so short. Like th- when I was growing up, and I was th- I would have been high school into college at this time. The name Tim Tebow was so fucking prominent. Like you, you, you this was a name. It's like you know. When people say Kobe when they go for a basket, you know, it's like Tim Tebow seemed yeah. to be the football guy name. And not only was his career so short, he sucked for most of it. And I had no idea until I did this research. Oh, yeah. No, even my, my wife and I started dating in 2008. And then in 2011, I started playing Dark Souls when that came out. And there's a an item you use in the game called a Homeward Bone that looks very much, you know, the, the, the character genuflex, bends, takes takes one knee. And she like she says, oh, she look, he looks like that guy, that one football player. <laughs> <laughs> she even, three years after the fact, yeah. she recalled my my not at all caring about sports wife recalled that's how prominent he was at that time was she was able to i look at me playing a video game and identify him via um, animation yeah well and what i'm about to talk about here is partly why uh does despite that short window of success tim was a controversial and very popular media phenomenon and that's mainly because he was super outspoken with his christianity um he actually inspired a rule in the ncaa dubbed the tebow rule that banned writing messages on their eye black because tebow would put bible verses on those and they would all have something to do with with what carried him through that game when he was in college um and then, as you mentioned, he had a, a signature style of prayer that he would do after scoring a touchdown that they called T-bowing, which specifically involved genuflecting with one's head bowed and an arm resting on one bent knee. I think this got more associated with Colin Kaepernick during the uh, the civil rights protest that he was doing a couple years later. Um, most controversially, he appeared in a Super Bowl ad for the fundamentalist Christo-fascist organization Focus on the Family, which had Tebow and his mother espousing anti-abortion propaganda. Now, I wanted to touch on this stuff because in many ways it's kind of more important than what he did on the field. It's what made him a star. And we don't have to dig into it. I don't have to, like, you know, debate the merits of, of, of the stuff that he got into. Um, but it is interesting how he was so lauded and praised for it his faith in his political allegiances while muslim players players that were protesting civil rights they weren't afforded that same love and admiration and i find that a little grating and that's something i don't really like about tim tebow so but we don't have to get too deep into it yeah um his co-workers found this to be very annoying especially by the time he got to the Eagles. He's at the end, basically, of his career. The Eagles were the last team that he tried for. And he would have a mob of media around him, interviewing him, before and after every practice. And the rest of the players are like, who cares? He sucks. He's not even our main quarterback. And you're all sitting here talking about his his religion and stuff. Fuck this guy. So, yeah, that's Tim Tebow's religion. Also, he never fucked. Yeah. (laughs) Famously. Big if true. Uh, Big if true. Premarital abstinence became quite the topic of conversation as he tried to break into the Eagles in particular, as his public relationship with supermodel Olivia Colpo, who is now the soon-to-be Mrs. Christian McCaffrey, who's playing in the Super Bowl on Sunday. Um, Not Olivia Colpo, Christian McCaffrey. Um, <laughs> yeah. I'd watch her play, though. Who knows? Uh... Uh, Their relationship ended over allegations that Tebow refused to have sex with her. And while he never confirmed his abstinence during his football playing career, Tim came clean after marrying another supermodel, Miss Universe Lee Nell Peters, that he was in fact saving himself from marriage, saying, I think living our convictions and standing firm is important when you believe in something and stand up for it. So 
Good for him for not fucking all those years. You may ask what being a virgin has to do me. with Tim's. <laughs> you may ask what it has to do Sorry, with his didn't mean to uh, sports <laughs> career. Uh, Justin McClinton, writing for fascist blog site The Federalist, asked a very important question Did saving sex for marriage help propel Tim Tebow's success? McClinton theorized that Tebow's success as an athlete was entirely driven by his faith and sex free convictions, going so far as saying, that an abuse of sexual energy weakens young men and prevents them from pursuing true actualization, sexual and otherwise. He adds that Tebow maintaining his virginity and taking his sexuality seriously as a man cuts particularly against the liberal narrative. Uh, not to spoil the ending, <laughs> sure. but T Tebow would retire from sports around a year after his marriage in 2020, meaning that once he started having sex... His athleticism was done. So maybe McClinton, who also authored such op-eds as, I'm a black voter, here's why I pulled the lever for Trump. Maybe he was onto something. Aside from the fact that Tebow was pretty bad in the NFL, so. Yeah, no, and, 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 and that's exact, but that's my point, is let's assume that he wasn't during his career. It didn't matter. He sucked then. You might as well have started fucking. Exactly. <laughs> I don't understand. And, that, and again, not to go wildly off the rails here, but NPR just did a really long piece about this, like, disturbing rise in this sort of, like, belief amongst men that, like, abstaining not just from sex, but from all forms of... You know, stimulation, as it were, the no fap movement, as they so, call it. Exactly the no, yeah, the no fap movement, as they call it. Guys, just do it. Just, I'm telling you, if you're listening to this and you're one of those people, stop. <laughs> Join the dark side. It's much more fun over here. We host fun podcasts. We get tattoos. We drink. We we. I'm just gonna say it. We fuck. Um, I got two kids. It it worked out really well for me. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> and at least one of us is athletic. So and yeah. Yes. The other will That's try true. someday. Um, but now let's get to the <laughs> let's get to the thrust of it. Tim Tebow Ye going wink. into baseball. The thrust. There we go. Uh, Tebow would spend the next few years in broadcasting, mainly as a commentator for ESPN and the SEC Network, but was perpetually trying to break back into sports. And that brings us to his bizarre decision to very publicly try to make it as a baseball player in 2016. His agents and training partners talked up his skills, his work ethic, his potential as a clubhouse leader, and the open invitational workout proved to be somewhat underwhelming. Tim showed some real power and batting prowess, but struggled with the strike zone when he saw live pitching. An anonymous scout remarked, I thought he was okay. Better than expected, to be honest. For not having played as long as he had, I thought he did okay. And one GM had the quote of the day. He said, are you insinuating that we need a Hail Mary? It's probably unlikely, but that's without any real information on his baseball background. Was he born in Cuba? Okay, then our interest is probably not as high as it would be. <laughs> we'll take a flyer on a guy we know nothing about if we know where he comes from, because at least we have other players to compare him to. If he's 18 years old and comes from Latin America, he's in. <laughs> Well, it's a much smaller pool they're pulling from, so the odds that he's great is better. America's a much larger country. The numbers are against it, is all I'm saying. Um, but those were the words of the Mets GM, Sandy Alderson, who, despite denying it fervently at the time, signed Tim Tebow for the marketing opportunities. And again, the guy had the best-selling football jersey just six years earlier, so it was totally made sense. Tebow was assigned to the Mets Instructional League that September and wasted no time making a splash a bomb of a home run over the left field fence in his very first at-bat. He was then sent off to play for the Scottsdale Scorpions in the Arizona Fall League. 
He went 0-3 in his debut, and the only thing he hit was the left field wall while chasing down a fly ball. In 62 at-bats, his first stint as a professional baseballer resulted in a 231 average, 538 OPS, and 20 strikeouts. What was encouraging was that Tebow was having fun, and the Scorpions management saw promise in his development. And Coach Tom Goodwin remarked, I just kind of liked the way he went about his business. He didn't seem like it was all or nothing for him. The power's going to be there. As he gets more comfortable with this environment, his swing, recognizing pitches, stuff like that, it's going to come. That's how it's going to come. I'm anticipating seeing. And he was getting massive support every time he stepped up to the plate with throngs of fans chanting his name every at-bat or routine put out. At least a dozen fans were wearing jerseys with his name and number 15 on the back. Some Gators, some Broncos or Jets jerseys, but at least one honest-to-God Tim Tebow Mets jersey was seen in the crowd. The Heisman winner was officially a ball player. Now, it's important to note that the Arizona Fall League is full of baseball's top prospects. It's not the same as just slumming it in the lower tier minor leagues. He's actually up against decent competition in the Arizona Fall League, especially for a guy in his late 20s that hadn't played in this capacity since high school. Still, Tim Tebow hit 194, 296, 242, and 62 at-bats, striking out 20 times and playing pretty miserable defense. He was improving. He went uh, 9-32 and drove eight walks in his final 11 games, which earned him some respect against the Mets fans and an invitation to 2017 spring training. He mostly hung out in minor league camp, but he did get called into majors a couple times. Uh, In his Mets debut, at least spring training-wise, he was a rough 0-3. He was hit by a pitch and hit into a double play. But he's there! I give him credit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I give him credit because I, I and I, I'm going to say this and, and somebody's going to be like, well, there's actually this obscure sport. Baseball is the hardest sport. Hitting hitting a baseball, hitting a round ball with a round bat moving not just very fast towards you, but sometimes very fast at you or away from you. So that he was able to do that and having not played at any serious competitive level since high school should be commended. That's really fucking hard to do. Um, plus, if I remember, if I remember correctly, he actually ended up getting like a live series card in the show, really? which I like, you know, because I think he got called up. So I think he got called. So it was really nice if I remember. Because like Tim Tebow, but his like overall rating was like fifty four. Yeah. Like, yeah. See, that makes more sense. This feels right in my heart. Yeah, it ain't bad. It's and again, yeah. probably better than any of us could ever do against some of the best pitching oh. in the world. <laughs> I I've, I've hit off college pitchers. I've hit off dudes who pitch in like big like. I've hit off some kids that pitch at Michigan State. I've tried to hit off kids that <laughs> pitched in college. Even like high 80s, low 90s, even in my 30s, fucking possible. So I'm, I will talk shit about Tim Tebow all day, but the fact that he was able to try this and do as good as he did should be commended. Yeah, I can maybe foul off a 70-mile-an-hour fastball down the... <laughs> that's, that's the best I can hope for, usually. Um, so... Tim was then assigned to the Columbia Fireflies, which was at the time a Mets Class A affiliate in the South Atlantic League, and so began his fast track through the lower tiers of the minor league. As given his age and profile, the organization really wanted to hurry along his development. Basically, if he if they felt he was ready for the next level, they called him up right away. So after hitting 220, 311, 336 in 64 games with the Fireflies, including yet another home run in his very first at bat, He was promoted to St. Lucie, which is their Class A Advanced Florida State League team. For the remainder of the season, he hit 231, 306, 356, and 62 games there, including a 12-game hitting streak, 
uh, slugging eight homers, stealing two bases in four attempts, walking 43 times, and striking out 126 times. Uh, St. Lucie's attendance ballooned with Tebow on the roster, shattering the 30-year-old team's attendance record with over 120,000 butts in the seats on the season, exactly the kind of star power the Mets were hoping for. His development was coming along quickly as well, leading some to speculate he was more than a sideshow. He was a legitimate prospect, soon to be worthy of a spot in the big leagues. They even speculated a call-up straight to the Major League roster when it expanded come September, which didn't happen, but it was it seemed to have been considered by Alderson and the Mets brass and you know he he met with Terry Collins a couple times like there there were there were definitely whispers in New York media that like is he gonna get a call up in September especially that was also back when you got a 40-man roster in September as opposed to 28. Bring God, it back. I, I miss those days. I miss those days. I agree. Bring it back. Bring the 40-man back. In 2018, Tim received a full invite to Major League Spring Training, and despite a rough showing, he only went 1-for-18 with 11 strikeouts, he was promoted to A Binghamton. Once again, he hit a home run in his first at-bat, and this time he thrived from the jump, hitting 273, 336, 399 with six home runs. The Rumble Ponies also broke attendance records thanks to Tebow, clocking in over 220,000 fans on the year. Tebow was even named an all-star and started to get even hotter, clocking in nearly 325 in the 20 games before the break. Unfortunately, roughly a week later, the Mets announced that Tebow had broken his hamate... Hamate? Hamate. <laughs> I've never known. Yeah, it's a very, it's a very freak, it's a very common break. Uh, if you get hit by a pitch on the hand, I, I, I still don't know how to pronounce it though. Well, he broke that hand, his hand bone, <laughs> one no. of the bones in his hand. <laughs> uh, required surgery, ended his season right before the or right after the All Star break. Um, fortunately, he did recover come the spring, and the Mets recognized he was ready for the next step. He received an invite to Major League Camp and was assigned to AAA Syracuse, once again bringing star power to the minor league field. The Upstate Mets even held a Tebow bobblehead night in May. Unfortunately, Tim did start to struggle. Perhaps it was injury or uh, age, level of talent that he was facing. He just wasn't continuing that skyrocketing development that fast-tracked him to that level. At 31 years old, he hit 163, 240, and 255 in 77 games before injury once again prematurely ended his season, this time with a deep cut on his pinky finger. And about the same time of the year, too, like around July. So that's, you know, smaller sample size, but he kind of stalled out. And then came the fateful year... 2020. Near the end of February, Tebow accepted an invite from the Philippines national team to represent them in the World Baseball Classic, scheduled to play in the March qualifying round. He was an early cut from the Mets Major League camp, but before he left, once again hit a home run on his first at-bat. He's very good at that. If there was a hit a home run in your first at-bat competition, he would win. Uh, Many theorize that, Yeah. <laughs> actually now I'm thinking about it, that would be the uh, home run derby. I don't know if he would win that. But <laughs> <laughs> you just congratulations you just invented the home run derby <laughs> uh many theorize that he this could be the year that he broke out and potentially made the major league roster but i don't know if you remember what happened in 2020 there was a Buffy. pandemic uh <laughs> oh that's right he was scheduled to return to syracuse but COVID-19 caused the league to suspend the minor league season entirely. Many teams controversially 
cut a number of their minor leaguers from their payroll while still deciding what to do with the rest of the major league season, Tebow was among the group that the organization did not cut. Andrew Church, who was one of the unfortunate cuts, went on a diatribe after the fact, remarking that the Mets made a mockery of our team by putting a celebrity on it, adding, I saw players lose their jobs because of it. We weren't playing to win. We were playing to make everyone else money, not the players. We never saw a cut. Well, allegedly that one player did. And perhaps... Tebow got wow. special treatment. I, I don't I don't think you can really argue that. You can't deny that he did have talent the Mets wanted to use. They saw his development yeah. as something that, that could happen. He was also paid like eight times less than Church was, on the books at least. Like he, he pretty much made league minimum. Yeah. And Church was had a, a minor to major contract, so you know Yeah, but Tebow also had his NFL money, you know. Yeah. Still sitting yeah. on that from the few years he played there. So right as baseball was truly coming back prior to the start of the twenty twenty one season, Tebow announced his retirement. He said, I loved every minute of the journey, but at this time I feel called in other directions. I never want to be partially in on anything. I always want to be 100% in on whatever I choose. In many ways, this kind of sounds what he said about being a virgin and not having sex. It's like convictions are a very big deal for him. Being convicted to do something is, is in his bones. So ends the short but sweet baseball career of Tim Tebow, with many people wondering what could have been had it not been for COVID and his injuries. He was only 32... There was still a chance he might have broken and played somewhere in City Field. Just thinking about my own personal Mets fandom and, and how these last couple years have gone, there were definitely needs for an outfielder at a lot of times in the years when like Starling Marte and Brandon Nimmo had injuries. Um, but they also had a really shitty DH since midway through 2022 with Daniel Vogelbach. That guy could not hit. And you got to think like, oh, if they had another pure hitter in the works maybe Tebow could have been that guy he could have saved their season I don't know we'll never know because he never finished that journey and I think that there were still years of baseball left in it now if you're like me you may be asking what the hell is he talking about getting called in other directions he put in so much work for all these years he really slummed it he slummed it with 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 kids that were just starting out their career he started all from the beginning and he worked pretty much up to the point where it was go big or go home and he didn't cross that threshold he grew more humble and focused than his days in football i didn't read anything about people saying he was the same religious zealot that he was in his football days he was a clubhouse presence he was super friendly he was a leader he was uh, a teacher um he had the full adulation of the Mets organization and fans and players all over. What else could there possibly be for Tim Tebow at this point in his life if it's not baseball? And this, Carl, is when I want to introduce you to the villain of our story. Now let's go back to Florida, where the Gators had been quite successful throughout the 90s, but they started to slip in the early days of the 2000s. It was then that the school decided to hire the red-hot all-star coach of the Utah Utes, Urban Meyer, who was fresh off of a perfect season and a Fiesta Bowl win. Now Meyer was heavily sought after, and Florida soon made him one of the highest-paid coaches in college football. Obviously, with the help of TiVo, he delivered two national championships, several bowl wins, national acclaim. After just 10 years of coaching, Urban Meyer reached 100 wins with Florida, on pace to be among the greatest coaches to ever do it. But here's the thing about Urban Meyer. 
He is a monster piece of shit. Now, full Accurate. disclosure, Carl knows this. Most of our audience probably knows this too. I'm a Michigan fan, a Michigan graduate, big Michigan football fan. And Urban Meyer would go on to coach Ohio State during a period of dominance over Michigan. Never lost against Michigan. You know, putting all that aside, the lengths of his depravity, physical and emotional abuse, and tolerance for criminality are entirely unmatched in the history of college football. And yes... I am aware of who Jerry Sandusky is. I think he's worse. He was criticized by many for the unruly behavior of his players at Florida. 31 of them were arrested during his time there. Some for minor charges, but others for gun charges, violent crime, larceny, and stalking. Soon after leaving Florida, Sporting News published an expose called How Urban Meyer Broke Florida football, detailing how he encouraged a toxic culture with the Gators and favored certain star players, allowing them to skirt punishment for misbehavior and fudging drug tests. Former Florida players went on record that this was a foundation of his coaching, although Meyer denied knowing anything about it. Tim Tebow was one of these players. Another one was tight end Aaron Hernandez, who was protected by Meyer despite admitting to being high on drugs every single time he took the field. There were multiple incidents in his time at Florida, including an assault at a bar and a strong suspicion that he was involved in a shooting of two men. Neither led to criminal charges, and both saw Meyer personally interviewing on Hernandez's behalf. Hernandez would go on to play three seasons for the New England Patriots before being charged with the murder of his friend, Odin Lloyd, he was also suspected of at least two other shootings while he was in New England. That's the kind of culture of a player that Urban Meyer developed. Yeah, and it's it, it is no surprise. And I know the NFL is not like a paragon of virtue, but they do definitely make you mind your P's and Q's a hell of a lot more than they do in college. You're not, you know, basically the governor of Florida when you're coaching the program down there. Yeah. So it's no surprise that he got run out of the NFL real quick because he could not. I, I believe a lot of his problems at the NFL level were because he was like, what do you mean? I'm not yeah. God. Yeah, we'll, we'll get to that in a second here. Um, He abruptly resigned from Florida in 2011, citing health issues claiming that he would retire from coaching altogether, but within a year, he was hired at Ohio State. While he was quite successful with the Buckeyes, winning yet another national championship, he was also found to have known and helped cover up spousal abuse from one of his assistant coaches, leading to a suspension. He would leave Ohio State soon after, again citing health reasons, but... <laughs> Of course, those pesky health reasons couldn't stop him from once again landing a coaching job, this time with the NFL's Jacksonville Jaguars. And so, Tim Tebow, back into our story. And while it's not exactly clear who reached out to whom, it seems like Meyer recruited Tebow to return to the NFL after a six-year absence to play tight end for the Jags. The timing of Meyer's hiring, which would have been around January, and Tebow's baseball retirement, which was around February, would indicate to me that this was the real reason why Tim Tebow was leaving the Mets. He signed a one-year deal for the veteran minimum, none of which was guaranteed. It's basically a prove-it deal in the most prove-it sense. You don't have to pay me unless I make it onto the roster. I think it was a true, I believe in myself, and my coach believes in me. My The guy that, that brought me to this career, that helped me win that Heisman, wants me back on the team, wants me back in the club. How do you say no to that? Well, he had a rough training camp and a bad performance in the first preseason game where he saw limited time on the field, caught no passes, didn't even play on special teams. And even at that point, he was like the fourth string tight end. He was kind of mm -hmm. superfluous on the roster anyway. So he was released. 
on his birthday and now officially his retirement day. He never again came back to sports. Tim Tebow did not need to play football again. He could have easily been in the baseball world for another few years and continued his upward climb. And perhaps I'm reading too much into it, but it seems like Urban Meyer wanted to get the band back together and start his NFL tenure on a with a bang with his old Florida crew and convince Tebow to leave his new career for one that was destined to fail. Meyer, as we alluded to earlier, soon found more controversy. He was getting a lap dance and inappropriately touching a much younger woman that was not his wife, publicly upsetting the Jags' front office. And as the season wound down, Jacksonville slipped into a terrible losing record. Several players and coaches went to the press and complained about Meyer's shitty behavior on and off the field. It all came to a head when kicker Josh Lambeau accused Meyer of physical abuse claiming Meyer repeatedly kicked him during practice. Ironic, I know, because he's kicking the kicker, but I digress. (laughs) When Lambeau protested, Meyer said, I'm the head coach, I can do whatever the fuck I want. The thing is, this is not college, and I'm not saying that it's okay to do in college either, but the difference is you're dealing with a professional who has a big salary and personal agents, and most importantly, a union. Meyer was fired soon after these allegations went public, leading to one of the shortest coaching tenures in history. After tanking a team, throwing Tim Tebow's baseball career away, physically abusing his players, and encouraging a murderer, Urban Meyer now has a nice job as an analyst for Fox Sports. <laughs> and that's that's you my never really truly fail. No. That's my Urban Meyer digression. Uh, I think the person who might be responsible for holding our friend Tim back. And we'll never really know what could have been with Tim Tebow, the baseball player. And like you said earlier, Carl, more likely than anything, he probably wouldn't have made it to the Major League roster. And if he did, he probably wouldn't have been amazing. And he probably only had a few more years left in the league anyway. Since retiring, he's hosted some game shows. He contributed analysis to sports programs purchased a minor league hockey team, and finally had sex. He's doing all right for himself. Still, one must wonder if he might be the last professional baseball slash football player. While there are still college athletes who play both sports while earning their degrees, I was really struggling to find any that look like they might make a career out of both. It's not impossible, but it's highly unlikely, because the difference now compared to back when Bo and Dion were playing is that the, the football season's longer and it overlaps with baseball a lot more too. Uh, it's a lot more strenuous. There's practice rules that are a lot different. And even like Tebow style players uh, have a shot at a longer career. You look at a guy like Zach Wilson, who is the quarterback for the Jets. Uh, very, very Tebow-like if you look at his stats. He's had twice as long of a career as Tebow has. <laughs> Um, yeah. So in spite of how successful he may have been in either sport and how he never really cracked the major leagues, how he never really was that great in general, how he sucked a lot of the energy out of the room with all the Jesus stuff and allowed the most evil coach since Joe Paterno to trick him into trying to be a fourth string tight end. Today, Super Bowl Sunday Eve, let us celebrate Tim Tebow, the Homer and Heisman, America's last football slash baseball star. Didn't see it coming. <laughs> Did not see it coming. I, I was completely shocked. Uh, to your point, uh, I recently read a piece on The Athletic, and I went back and I dug it up. There is currently a kid at Alabama named Dylan Longeran, or Lonergan, excuse me, Lonergan. Um, he's to focus on football, quote, not going to be around a ton, close quote, for baseball season. Mm. Um, so it looks like the recent success at Alabama, or the recent continued success at Alabama, but the coaching change uh, and whatnot, but... 
so there are still a few of them out there, but uh, it looks like, um, like you're right. You're, we probably have seen the last of that very specific breed, especially now with salaries being what they are and, and, and et cetera, et cetera, and injury risks and whatnot. No team is going to be like, no, he's, he's, he's ours. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody's going to be like, no, he belongs to us. <laughs> we have this guy under contract. No, we have him under contract. And even uh, if like Patrick Mahomes were to retire tomorrow, well, Monday, uh, <laughs> he'd probably want to play. Yeah. The, the Super Bowl first but if he were to retire after this season and say all right fuck it I'm going into baseball he, you know there's no guarantee that a team would even take that sort of gamble you're talking about a, a very freewheeling weird period for the Mets where they it's pre-Steve Cohen and uh, they were yeah. doing a lot of very creative things to build their roster um, without spending a lot of money and I think Tebow kind of represents that creative roster building um, I don't know Carl I I I love this kind of player and I, I maybe not so much Tim Tebow but like go look at Bo there's there's great documentaries on both Bo and Dion. Uh, you don't know Bo, I think is the name of it. Uh, and then I don't, I don't remember what the name of Dion's was, but basically it was covering how both of them balanced careers in both sports and succeeded tremendously in both sports. Um, and the tragedy that was Bo Jackson going down with injury, um, because God, he was such a magnetic play. He was just so amazing. The way you always go yeah. back to that play that he like ran up the outfield wall to make a catch when he played for the Royals. That is one of the greatest baseball yeah. plays of all time. Yeah. No, I, I still remember exactly where I was when I watched Bo Jackson get that hip injury. It was, oh. I mean, to a, to a, 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 to people of a certain age, I was like 12 or 13 years old, you know, when Bo Jackson hit, I mean, that is prime, you know, like it's like, you know, Shohei to a, a, a preteen or teenage, you know, sports fan these days. Uh, there's really it, it, he's like the Beatles of sports in that you really can't explain it. You had to be there. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, they do a great job pumping it up with the music and the editing and everything and, you know, generating emotion. But to have actually watched him do what he did and watch him in the all star game and, and watch him make those unbelievable throws from the outfield. uh I was lucky, you know, I was really lucky to get to see that. And I, it kind of bums me out. We won't get to see it again, probably. But that's why I'm so into Shohei, because he's doing something that I cannot, yeah. I cannot wrap my head around. It just does not make sense. And that's what Bo and Dion and all those guys did. Yeah, it's a shame. And I, I get it. It's not like Tebow was great at either sport, whereas those guys were amazing at both sports. So, oh, yeah. There's a reason why Dion has the biggest ego I've ever seen on a player or now a coach, you know. Yeah, yeah, but I'm not going to say shit about it. I mean, dude, dude's done more than I ever did. Yeah. He earned it. <laughs> go, go on ahead and talk it, but you know, I still don't think you're going to win more than four games <laughs> in, in any given season at your time in Colorado, but maybe I'm wrong. Oh, that's the wrong one. Anyway, that is our Super Bowl special. Get out there, grab some wings, uh, listen to some Taylor Swift this weekend. Uh, I really don't give a shit. Uh, about either of these teams playing. It's got to be the least interesting Super Bowl uh, ever? Ever? Yeah, I'm not even... I couldn't care any less. The only thing is, I guess, if the Chiefs win, Biden wins the election. I think people determine that. Since the oh, Chiefs yeah. won the same matchup in 2020, blah, blah, blah. So, All right, go Chiefs. Go Chiefs, I guess. I mean, yeah, it's. It, 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 I, I basically feel the same way about this. <laughs> like, just please, not, not the alternative. This, key, this has to be better. 
This has to be better. But I don't want to get into that. It's, this is not the time for it. Plus, it's the end of the episode. Yeah. Uh, anything to plug, my friend? Um, yeah, uh, season two of Cheap Smut. Uh, my other podcast comes back uh, full time next week, February 12th. Unless you are a Patreon subscriber, you get the episodes a week early. But otherwise, f- yeah, for the uh, for the hoi polloi, the Vox Populi, if you will, for everybody else, it comes out uh, Monday, February 12th. And uh, this week, we right right back out of the gate with a book about sex wizards. Um, yes. So tune in. It's as bonkers as it sounds. Hell yeah. Um, what I, about you? I alluded to Tell it us. last yeah. week. Uh, yeah. I've got an album coming out with my band Space Max. Been working on it for a number of years now, and I'm this close to getting it done. I'm like at the 95% uh, point. So that's coming out soon. It's going to be uh, inspired by the movie Blade Runner, which is one of my favorite movies. And oh, uh, kind of. Mine too. Yeah. I love that movie. And uh, kind of uh, thinking about how artificial intelligence and humanity are intertwined, especially at this point in our our society so um it's an instrumental album it's all improvised uh which is how we do everything with space max and uh so that'll be out soon i don't have a date yet but soon <laughs> oh i if, if if it makes me even just feel like the slightest vangelis vibes i'm gonna be so down yeah, I mean, I uh, feel like that's kind of our vibe in general. You can go to uh, arcticsounds.bandcamp.com to hear the old Space Max stuff. We're also on Spotify. Um, our last album was pandemic-themed because that's when it came out. So that's how long I've been working on this one, too. <laughs> Jeez. I get it, though. Oh, well, I'm so excited. I can't wait to hear it. Thanks, man. Uh, for all of our fans out there, thank you so much for listening. Please uh, rate, review, tell your friends. Pitchers and catchers are reporting so soon. And maybe we talk about that next week. We don't actually know. But (laughs) Uh, until then, thank you so much for joining us. This has been Put Me In Coach. Put Me In Coach is an Arctic Sounds original podcast hosted by Matt Coggins and Carl Mizell. Theme music is by Quack Quack Seatback. Edited and produced by Matt Coggins. Check out the footnotes of this episode to see links to all the great highlights, articles, and sources we mentioned on the podcast today, as well as the full theme song and ways to get in touch with us. For more, find us on Twitter and Instagram at PutMeInPod, or at our website, PutMeInCoachPod.com. Put Me In Coach.